Get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Foods. Welcome to the Universal Joint podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill. My co-host Dustin Fuse and I are recording the show on Friday, February 22nd, 2019, which is just a day after the Universal Orlando Resort finally went public with both a name and an opening date for the least secret theme park attraction in the history of man. Given this ride is being built just down the hill from the Wizarding World Hogsmeade Village, we already knew that this theme ride was going to be Harry Potter themed. Given that the spot that the attraction that was being built and had previously been occupied by the Dragon Challenge ride, and that Wizarding World's reward was just a lightly rethemed version of an opening day of Island Adventure attraction, uh, Dueling Dragons. So we knew it was a coaster. I mean, we obviously we knew it was a coaster, but because for the past nine months we've been watching the on-site construction team use cranes to winch the track into place. After months and months and months of speculation, we have a name, we have an opening date. So Dustin, tell them the name. Tell them the opening date. So the the name itself is Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be shortened to Hagrid's from this point forward. I will mm-hmm. bet that no one will ever use that name in its entirety. But it basically says exactly what it is. It's mm-hmm. a motorbike adventure where you get to see magical creatures. So it oh. makes sense. Okay. Um, and it looks like the opening date is actually only a couple of months away. We're talking about June 13th of 2019. So, yeah, about three months, four months out. They will be shortening it to Hagrid's largely because three to five minute walk away is the Jurassic Park River Adventure. Mm-hmm. And again, both of these adventure attractions are located inside of Islands of Adventure. So that could get confusing real fast. To be fair here, I always thought it was a little on the nose that in Adventureland at Disneyland Park in California, you could go on the Indiana Jones adventure. That always seemed kind of Department of Redundancy Department to me. So you and I both know from the aerial photography and from the piece of concept art that showed up online a week before last, the coaster takes us into Hagrid's hut at, Mm -hmm. at one point. My only problem with that is if we go over to the queue for the Flight of the Hippogriff, which, again, just like Dragon Challenge, is, it was a previously existing adventure uh, island adventure attraction that was Flying Unicorn, which opened 13 months after the park opened. The family-friendly coaster sort of up capacity and help with the, the family-friendly aspect of islands. You get to see Hagrid's hut from that queue, so it's like... Can the hut be in two places at the same time? Or am I being a jerk here? Or or maybe, maybe to put a positive spin on this, given that Dragon's Challenge was torn down and replaced with a what we hope is a far better Potter-themed experience. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get to see the same thing with Flat of the Hippogriff. Maybe they'll, they'll pull down this family-friendly coaster and put something in that's you know a bit more Potter-specific. Though I would hate to lose that Buckbeak minimatronic i mean i know it doesn't move all that much but it's it really is on model for the potter films i mean it's it's an amazing thing well yeah it bows and you you get that chance to to step into that environment but i think we we've all 
been on that attraction just to kind of get a better view of the castle and to sometimes see some construction images. And, you know, I went back to when when I actually worked in in Orlando, we would go to that spot uh, into the um, previously themed coaster. And it was it was fun. It was a walk on, always a walk on. And Mm. then all of a sudden Harry Potter showed up and it all of a sudden became a, you know, 20 to 40 minute attraction. Yeah, my memory of that coaster during that period. And you're right. When the Wizarding World was being constructed, that suddenly that went from a walk on to had quite a wait time. And I remember quite significantly how many people, as soon as they left the station, pulled out cameras. And that was basically then became the soundtrack of the ride. The the Universal team member, please put down your cameras. Please put down your cameras. You're going to hurt yourselves. Put down your cameras. And and everybody was frantically clicking away to get pictures of the shots of Hogsmeade Village coming together mm-hmm. in the castle. And that's a fun memory of, of 2009, right? Almost yep. 10 years ago now. And then even before, if we're looking 2008, 2009, that area, with the original Dueling Dragons experience, it was, it was such a, a, an incredible coaster. It was, mm. what, one of the, the best ranked coasters in North America at one given point. And to switch it over to a Harry Potter themed, at first we were all kind of questioning what was going to happen, but mm. as more information came out, I don't know, it, we'll, we'll see what'll happen. I'm, I'm still holding out hope to actually get into one of the ride vehicles. Getting back to Thursday's news now, that if you looked online uh, when news of Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure broke, what was kind of interesting was... That the online community, they didn't just talk about that because in these virtually the same window of time, Disney Parks and Resorts swoops in and makes an announcement about what a redo of of Epcot's entrance area and a... Yeah, leave, leave a Legacy is, is going away and the reimagining of the Wonders of Life, which I, I've always been a big fan of having something in that pavilion. It's such an amazing spot. So we'll we'll see. But Len and I will get into this in a big way in our next Disney Dish podcast. Because to be honest, I think for a lot of folks, they're not seeing the forest through the trees here in regard to why Disney is doing what they're doing mm-hmm. at Epcot. And also the language in the press release that Disney put out talking about the multi-year billion dollar redo of Epcot Center. Let's look at the quickly at the Guardians of the Galaxy coaster that, that's sure. being built there. All right. What do you think something like that? Cutting edge attraction, giant show building. What's a ballpark on, on what it's costing Disney to build that? From what I can remember, Epcot mm. or when um Disney's Animal Kingdom built Expedition Everest. Mm -hmm. It's still classified as the most expensive theme park ride that was ever constructed. And that was, what, over $100 million? Okay, so let's let's say $100 million. Now, we jump to the other side of World Showcase Lagoon. Mm -hmm. And we have the Ratatouille ride, which, again, you know, it's it's kind of a clone of what's been done at Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris. Mm-hmm. A fairly pricey project. Give me a ballpark. Because it's already been done once, mm-hmm. I think you're basically cutting the budget in half. But you're also starting 
at a uh, a location where they used to just have um, all the huts mm-hmm. from all the the festivals that go on in in Epcot. So my thought is that that's probably a thirty five forty million dollar attraction. I think you're low bowling there. I think realistically, if you look at steel, you take into consideration the ride vehicles, the track system. Yes. A lot of development money, you know, they don't need the development money because, you know, obviously it's already developed. But yeah, they've already done it. You just order a second track of everything. <laughs> I have heard starting costs for this thing are, are actually pretty much double what you talked, 70 or thereabouts, and the joys of building in Florida and groundwater and that sort of thing. So this is a little south of $100 million as well, and we have our brand new Illuminations we're getting an interim show, the Epcot for you know Forever show, that has to yeah. sort of be in place while they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting for uh, Illuminations. So they did the Princess 5K earlier this week, and mm-hmm. a lot of people who, as they were running through Epcot, stopped to take pictures of the giant barge that was in the middle of uh, World Showcase Lagoon, already doing work. So new nighttime show, lots of infrastructure, an interim show. We have an estimated price tag there. You know what? The last one scared me a little bit. So mm-hmm. I think I'm going to go because it's not a physical building. Mm-hmm. You're putting me on the spot. Maybe 30 million. Creep it up a little bit. This thing has been in the works for decades at yeah. this point. There's a lot of development money that needs to be burned off. OK, so we pivot from there. We're taking out Leave a Legacy. We're moving it outside the berm. We're effectively mm-hmm. changing it into the new designated smoking area for Epcot. Yep. Then again, we're going back into Wonders of Life and putting what Bob Chapek has wanted for a long time, a black box show that can be changed out seasonally for how much? Let's put a a $20 million price tag on that. And then you you look at next door with the the space restaurant. And there's a lot of money that's being spent right now in Epcot from what you're telling me. Yes. Actually, again, you need to put a one in front of your 20. That includes the work that's being done on the entrance plaza and the greenery and all of that fun stuff. But here's my question. Are they putting that kind of money towards the new O Canada movie? Oh, (laughs) you're sweet. I'm sorry. Your multi-year billion dollar redo Mm -hmm. of Epcot. We're kind of well past... The midway point, in fact, I think that's the thing that people need to understand. It's like, oh boy, we're going to get a brand new Epcot. It's like, no, they've spent half the money already. In fact, more than half the money. Getting back to the press announcement now, let's talk about what you discovered. Because again, there was a lot of controversy in regards to this. There were a number of people out there who felt that Disney had kind of taken the role of a spoiler here, that they'd released their info right on the heels of the Hagrid magical creatures or motorcycle attraction. And you've actually found out that was not the case, right? Yeah. So with any sort of uh, social media piece that goes out there, as, as soon as a post is released, you get notifications. So a lot of people get notifications for various reasons. I have Hootsuite set up on my computer and I actually have Disney Parks and Universal Orlando as a, a notification. So when they came out, basically simultaneously, it was Pretty shocking, but not really when you actually look at the fact that both of the announcements, so the the Universal Orlando announcement was pre-scheduled for 11 a.m., but not really 11 a.m. It was actually 11.03.30, 30, 
very specific, and it was done through their social media scheduling tool called Sprinkler. And, you know, you do a little research into the way that Disney does all of their social media, and they use a thing called um, Sprout Social. So mm-hmm. theirs was scheduled to be put out there at 11.02 a.m. Now, the big thing with social is that you never want to put a big announcement on the hour. As soon as you do that, you're competing with news. Mm-hmm. So all of these organizations set basically pre-scheduled their stuff to go out at the, you know, 03s, 05s, 07s, or 33, 35s, 37s. And that's just the way you get people as they're about to go on a break or you get news before it's the noon hour. So when they put this out, everyone was up in arms being like, well, Disney broke their new. Well, let's be honest. Disney probably had this Mm -hmm. uh, saved. And as soon as they heard that something was going to be coming out with Universal, why wouldn't they put it out there? Mm-hmm. We don't know for sure whether or not that's exactly what happened. But the fact that you're within a minute and a half of mm-hmm. two gigantic announcements, it kind of shows that it was pre-scheduled. Got it. Okay. Now, getting back to the the announcement itself. So sure. we have... The language they use to describe Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure is the most highly themed coaster yet. And quoting from the official press release here, uh, first time ever, guests will fly with Hagrid on a thrilling motor coaster or thrilling roller coaster ride that plunges them into the path of some of the Wizarding World's most rarest magical creatures. And you were working on a, a list of those or what what's leaked so far? So that the leaks that are out there are actually going to stay out there. Mm-hmm. Every website that I visited had a different number mm-hmm. of uh, mystery characters, especially mm-hmm. when you're looking at the fact that Harry Potter and the Fantastic Beasts mm-hmm. are kind of having a little bit of overlap. So I think I would love to see uh, what people are thinking. So if anyone mm-hmm. wants to head over on Twitter or Instagram and let us know which of these magical creatures you would like to see in this coaster. And if they come true, we'll be able to credit you. But it looks like there's at least four, maybe five that we have found so far. There's the rumors about Fluffy, the three-headed dog. I don't know if we can count the Weasley family Ford Anglia as a creature, but I guess you get to see that during the earliest part of the coaster. And then we saw the the pixies in the original uh, poster. Mm-hmm. And there's still a couple more, but I think that the more that this coaster will show up in the zeitgeist and people mm-hmm. will start to to see the okay. the trains move, we'll see what'll happen. But I, there's probably a good amount of crossover. Well, here's hoping, and well, we'll we'll get to the devil's sneer stuff because that that keys off of the actual ride mechanism at a later mm-hmm. show. But again, construction continues. They're, they're planning all sorts of greenery and, and that sort of thing. And, and speaking of construction, just in the past week or so over at the Jurassic Park Discovery Center, team members at Islands have begun preventing guests from going outside to the back. In the fine tradition of Universal's worst-kept secrets, uh, the reason that people aren't being allowed on the patio is they're getting serious about the next coaster for this park the uh, in fact I, I think you and i have talked about you know all of the site or, or the markers that are already in place and you know that sort of thing that, that yep. they're going forward with this thing and 
Now, what's kind of interesting is if you drill down into Island's history, if you go mm -hmm. back to 99 and they talk, you know, you get talking with folks about the design of that park. Uh, you know, the idea was you were supposed to come through the port of entry and arrive at, you know, again, the Island's Adventure Lagoon, look across the way and see rising up out of this lush jungle area, the visitor center from mm -hmm. the original Jurassic Park movie. And the whole notion was, this is this theme park, Sleeping Beauty Castle. It's supposed to be across the water, look inviting, and that's what's going to make you schlep all the way around the lagoon to visit this thing from the hit Steven Spielberg movie. Mm -hmm. And so you've got that as your view. You're now going to build a coaster in front of it, yeah. which is potentially going to screw up that view. And why exactly would you do that? And kind of interesting response from Universal Creative folks. Jurassic Park is now Jurassic World. Mm -hmm. And anybody who's been paying attention to you know, the original Jurassic World movie in 2015, you know what happened to Jurassic World. That this place that you know was supposedly lovely and safe and gave you dinosaurs up close and that sort of thing. It's gone totally wrong. It's gone you know, totally off the rails. And so what better way to indicate that this wonderful under control place is now out of control than a coaster, you know, zooming in and out of this forest where the roar of the coaster tracks is more than occasionally sort of drowned out by the, the roar of some huge dinosaur out in the brush there. So mm -hmm. this is really about repositioning the back half of the park uh, to, you know, moving it from the Jurassic Park franchise over to the Jurassic World franchise. And I, I can't tell you who I was talking with, but, <laughs> you know, they were, were pointing out, you know, so they said, okay, so you've started work, keeping people off the patio, you're getting serious. What are we talking about for a timetable here? And they were like, if you think about what we had to deal with Dragon Challenge, you know, we had mm -hmm. to literally go in, we had to pull down the old coaster, we had to do site prep. That total was 21 months of work. If you go sure. from when it closed in September 4th of 2017 and when the attraction is expected to open, which you were saying, what, June 13th of this year, right? Yes. They don't have to dismantle this time. It's one of these things where there is no attraction in place there. There are trees to pull down. There are planters to pull down. There's a little bit of site prep uh, mm -hmm. that needs to be done. And work obviously began last month. From the Comcast side of the fence, they want to open an attraction of size in each of the Florida theme parks for every year for the next couple of years. So I, I flat out asked, it's like, are we talking a 2020 opening? My source was like, that's a little ambitious. But in-house, we're talking about it? Well, because it would be late. Late would 2020, early. And no one really opens a theme park attraction in February. Mm -hmm. So you're probably looking spring break. So many of the seasonal events right now are held mostly over at uh, Universal Studios Florida. You have things like Grinchmas and Holiday at Hogwarts, which happened as part of you know, holidays at Universal, but it's not nearly what they do on the Universal Studios Florida side of things, like like Mardi Gras. And speaking of Mardi Gras, on our last show, you talked about how with the, this year's Mardi Gras celebration, we saw the Universal Orlando Resort 
tweaky things. In fact, sort of taking ideas that had been popular at the Epcot's uh, International Food and Wine Festival and, and, you know, like, for example, the tiny tasting plates, you know, mm -hmm. that sort of thing, and seeing if they would work at this event. And it turns out they've got another Epcot-inspired idea going on here, the, the Mardi Gras tasting lanyard. What's that all about? With Mardi Gras comes a, a number of incredible New Orleans-inspired dishes. Mm -hmm. So everything that you can imagine, if you can get it in New Orleans, they, they've basically found a way to replicate that taste and that those seasonings mm -hmm. at Mardi Gras. So what they've done is allow you to have multiple dishes and beverages basically combined for one upfront price. So you, mm -hmm. you can buy... A lanyard that allows you to choose from uh, there's three price points, right? So we got the five items for $30, which equals out to six dollars mm -hmm. per uh, item. Right. Which keep in mind, each item ranges between five fifty and upwards of eight or nine dollars, depending on what you're getting. Mm -hmm. The average is about seven dollars. Okay, so when you buy this in advance, five dollars or five items for 30, that's a good deal. If you do 10 items, you can actually save even more because you spend $50 plus tax, of course, and it kind of lowers the price down. Now, the big deal is the exclusive pass holder tasting lanyard, which mm. is 15 items for $60. That's not bad. No, no, no. There's a great savings there. But at the same time, you, you have to sort of factor in what people have paid for their annual pass. But no, I get that. I get that. Annual pass holders, you're talking about a lot of Orlando area locals, you know, the, mm -hmm. the types who kind of circle back on events like food and wine or Festival of the Arts or, or, or again, Mardi Gras. And in, in this case, a lot of people go back to Mardi Gras because, you know, a musical group that they like is coming in for a weekend or that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But you had mentioned that as part of sort of creating new revenue streams on the backs of these folks, they were also bringing other add-on experiences in. And so what is this about an all-you-can-eat crawfish boil? Yeah, that it seemed like a good idea at the time. Okay. So they've actually been incredibly popular in cities around the world. Mm. Uh, these, I, This idea that you can go and get all-you-can-eat crawfish and, you know, just really good food all at the same time, you, you can get a, a, a good um, a good meal out of it. So what they've done at Universal is for $59.99 for adults and then $39.99 for kids, you can participate in an all-you-can-eat crawfish boil. So it's only offered on select nights and it actually features an all-you-care-to-enjoy Louisiana style boil with crawfish, shrimp, potatoes, corn on the cob, anything you can imagine. They also, for folks who don't really enjoy crawfish or seafood, you can actually ask for the chicken and andouille sausage jambalaya. Mm -hmm. Now, with that, because you're spending that kind of money for a meal, you want to be able to get more out of it. Mm -hmm. So um, very similar to a, a phantasmic dining package or, you know, various spectaculars at, at Disney, Universal's kind of combined it mm -hmm. where after your meal, you actually are invited into an exclusive viewing area along the parade route for Universal's Mardi Gras parade. Mm -hmm. So there are... I'm trying to remember how many new floats this year. I think five, six. There's mm -hmm. six new. 
Okay. And um, then you get to get some extra dessert portion at that point. So you're looking at the king cake, beignets, sparkling wine, assorted non-alcoholic beverages. You had me at beignets. Ah, there we go. Okay, now you've created, you know, this sort of experience. And, and like you said, there are, there, you know, there, frankly, there are people who don't like seafood or have or allergic to it, but also, you know, wouldn't mind while they're there for Mardi Gras, you know, getting a, a special place to do the parade. But an interesting thing, again, and of course, you know, the dessert party component, but they found a way to sort of, again, extend that, right? With what, the cinematic celebration? Or? Yeah, so... When Cinematic Celebration first came out, you and I both reached out to, to Universal PR. And the mm -hmm. response back was, we have nothing right now for dining experiences, but it'll come. Mm -hmm. Well, this is one of those options. So it's the parade, desserts, and the cinematic viewing experience for $49.99 per adult plus tax and then $30 for kids plus tax. Mm -hmm. With that kind of a, an experience, dessert parties at Disney are huge revenue enhancers because mm -hmm. the people are there anyway. Might as well give them a chance to eat as many desserts as they can. And let's be honest, they're not going to eat a ton of desserts. You can only have so many cupcakes. Mm -hmm. So the party doesn't really stop with the parade, with the, the viewing of everything. They've actually included the special, you know, experience to bring you from the parade to cinematic celebration and back and forth. So on the nights when they are doing both, mm -hmm. you can go back and forth. So my mentality with any sort of specialty dessert party mm -hmm. always go to the website mm -hmm. and make sure that you can book it for that day now we've seen in universal studios that they do have a booth set up mm -hmm. where if they do have availability they'll sell it day of but the best example is always look on the website and buy it ahead of time if this exclusive viewing area i mean mm -hmm. I, I wonder if they double down i mean literally they bring the folks over from the crawfish boil to the same area where they've got the people who bought the exclusive parade viewing and the dessert party, and they all have dessert together. And then end of the parade, the crawfish people wander off and the, the rest of the folks are taken over to cinematic celebration. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder, I'll have to do a little digging there. But since cinematic celebration opened in July of last year, I, I have to say one of my favorite aspects of the show is when they, they break out the footage from the first two How to Train Your Dragon movies, which is, synced up to John Powell's amazing score for those movies. And mm -hmm. and speaking of Toothless and Hiccup, if, if you're a fan of, of those characters, there's actually a number of ways you can get to interact or at least experience this Viking and his pet night here at the Universal Park, which Dustin and I will get to after this commercial break. And we're back. So we were just talking about Universal's Cinematic Celebration, which Universal Flute Studios Florida's Nighttime Lagoon Show. And people love to shoot these things with their phones and, you know, share them with friends at home or put them on social media. But at that point in the day, most people's iPhones are running on fumes, at least from a power point of view. But Universal, starting just this past week, is starting... To address this issue and you kind of tripped over this story care to share sure so uh 
over at, at Walt Disney World, we've had a uh, product and a service that you could buy called Fuel Rods. So Fuel Rods is uh, all over the place at, at Disney World. They'll never, they won't call it Fuel Rods. It's actually known as a portable charging device. So if you ask for the, where the nearest fuel rod location, you'll get the look of, huh? But if you talk about the portable charging station, the kiosk, that's where it is. Well, they've been expanding rapidly, not just at Disney, but in theme parks uh, around Florida and in airports and everything like that. Well, they showed up at Universal over the last week. So we now have uh, there's six locations on property, including the theme parks and the resorts, with four more that will be coming. And that's just the start. Now, with Universal, it is a little bit different than over at Disney. And, and I did reach out to Fuel Rods and, you know, amazing people. And the idea of creating something that actually helps people when they're in the parks and able to recharge their phone, because we, we do live in a social media world where if your phone dies, you're dead. That's it. There's you're not there. So you need to have something and you can only have so many external portable chargers charged at the hotel before you go out. So with fuel rod being over at Universal, you can go and use any fuel rod, even if you've bought it at Disney or on their website and then exchange it when it's dead and then you get a new one. Now, at Universal, it's different. They've actually instituted a $3 charge for each and every single time that you swap out your, your fuel rod. That is different. So we're going into a potential changing of a business model because with everyone having one, they can't really make any sort of money because everyone's going back and forth and just exchanging their, their old one. Really, at Universal, you want to have this. You want to have the potential to save your vacation memories. So my mentality is always you you go online, go to uh, to their website, pick up your fuel rod. And then when you're in the parks, just know that at Universal, you're going to have that $3 charge. Very similar to what we were talking about just a, a few weeks ago with the additional charge at um, for the backpacks that came in in December, where you have to pay to store your backpack, even though you actually can't take your backpack on any ride. So with Universal, there are more up charges than over at Disney throughout the spectrum of vacation planning and trip planning. It's all about knowing in advance what you will have to budget. So when fuel rods came in, definitely a, a step in the right direction because everyone's used to them if you've been to a Disney park. Good to know. All right, getting back to How to Train Your Dragon now. If you're sitting here with your phone and you're, you're filming the, the sequence in Cinematic Celebration that shows Toothless and Hiccup you know, flying over Universal Studios Lagoon, and, and that's not enough for you. It turns out that now through March 12th, there's actually a photo and video booth set up across from the entrance of Animal Kingdom's actor's stage. And the gimmick is that you can sit on the Toothless in this this uh, thing where it's in front of a, a green screen. Mm -hmm. And what they'll do is they'll film you with your phone and then they'll email you this video. If, on the other hand, you're you know an old-fashioned Luddite like myself and you want a, an actual photo of yourself sitting on this thing they will sell you that they, they this is a, <laughs> in a freebie and i guess they swap out for the green screen yep. uh, some some sort of appropriate background but that's the east coast version west coast 
much more interesting. You chase down the photos and the video of the walk-around toothless character that's debuted at, at Universal Studios Hollywood over the past week or so. And it's not in the park. It makes its appearance outside the park. They bring it mm -hmm. out next to, through the gate that's near the guest relation tickets windows, uh, just to the right of the arch. So guests who are entering the park can run over and quickly and get their picture taken with Toothless. But it's a really interesting Toothless, Dustin. What do you want to say about this thing? It hurt my back just looking at it. Yeah. As someone who has had experience with uh, with entertainment at the parks, mm -hmm. it's all about ease mm -hmm. and making sure that the actor who is bringing that character to life, mm -hmm. um, also known as friends with uh, Toothless, I sure. really hope that they've got a, a situation set up within that costume to actually make it so it's easy because from the outside, it looks uh, just heavy and uh, and difficult just, to operate i mean yeah it has great detailing in fact there's at mm -hmm. least one video that that shows it finishing its its visit with guests and it turns around to leave and you can actually see you know this tail hanging off of the costume that that has the artificial fin that hiccup mm -hmm. made for toothless in in the first film to help him uh, control himself in flight and i love the detailing but it just at as slow as the the performer in the suit moves you just sense, oh, this is heavy, and this is, you know, I mean, I hope there's a chiropractor backstage. This arrives at the Universal Parks pretty much in the same window of time that the new Kevin walk-around, the, the, the giant bird from Pixar's Up, showed up at Animal Kingdom, and mm -hmm. talk about bearing the needle in the exact opposite direction. I mean, this Kevin walk-around is on model, its eyes blink, its mouth opens, its heads turn, it makes the, the squawk that the character made during the movie. And people are losing their minds in the park. I mean, have you seen them chasing after it and trying to get their picture taken with it? I mean, oh, absolutely. And if you go and see um, when Russell and Doug mm. are leaving from their meet and greet and mm. they find Kevin, mm -hmm. it's an incredibly like moving situation where it's, you know, hugs all around and it's, it's, oh. it's, it's just awesome. But, you know, you're looking at the difference between the animal kingdom has al always had those mm -hmm. unique types of characters from the mm -hmm. one that's, uh, in uh, Pandora to the uh, oh, divine mm -hmm. divine, which, um, you know, stilts and able to kind of blend into the background. It's amazing how many times you walk through uh, the area where divine is uh, is doing her performance and people won't even recognize that she's there. Mm -hmm. So in the animal kingdom, they have that ability to really, you know, play on the the atmosphere. I think the issue that we saw with what's going on in in Hollywood is it's just a big costume it is it is and i think the kevin costume just the fact that there are these little rudimentary wings which i guess is you see them move every now and then whenever i watch the footage of kevin moving in the park and surrounded by crowds and that sort of thing i get kind of nervous for the cast member that's inside or excuse me the friend of kevin because what happens if they fall how can they brace themselves in that outfit Love the look of it. I love what they did with it. And I'm kind of hoping that in regard to Universal, if you look at what they did at Island Adventure with Blue, mm -hmm. with the, the Raptor encounter there, and you contrast that with what they've done in Florida, where it's a full Raptor costume and it's walking around and 
no strings attached. I mean, I'm hoping they do the same thing with, with this toothless thing. Because yeah. How to Train Your Dragon Hidden World is being sold right now as the final chapter of the uh, this trilogy. But from Steve Burke, from the mouth of Steve Burke, the head of Comcast, all right, he's the guy who authorized back in April of 2016 to spend $3.8 billion to acquire DreamWorks Animation. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons they did that is the whole point of making this purchase was to get their hands, so Comcast could get its hands on a ready-made set of characters and stories that could then be used to fuel the creation of theme park attractions. And licensed merch, which the whole point of doing this was to take the low single-digit returns of the movie business mm-hmm. and turn it into an entirely different business for them. Burke was really upfront about this. He said because they were able to get their hands on on the DreamWorks characters, they advanced Comcast consumer products agenda about five years. They now had this library of characters they could do things with. And we're seeing what they, they plan on doing. I, you know, for mm-hmm. example, I don't know if you're familiar with iFly, the indoor skydiving thing. Yeah, we've got one of them up here in, in Toronto. And I did a little search into how many locations there are around the U.S. And wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, you, know, you might want to swing by there because right now for a short time, they're actually offering a How to Train Your Dragons flying experience where they basically put a VR helmet on you, take you into the Hurricane Force Winder Chamber, and fly you around while you're viewing footage from How to Train a Dragon. Now, the tough thing, though, I, I do have to preface this. It is for U.S.-based mm-hmm. iFly locations right now. Yep. But if you are outside of the U.S., mm-hmm. um, you can either take a trip down to you know New York or Washington State or wherever, or you know just kind of send a tweet over to iFly and be like, I would like this, please. No, no, no. I, I definitely agree. And more to the point, if you, you're you more of a I like my feet on the ground kind of guy, but you still want a yeah. Dragon's VR experience, there's a, a traveling show going around the U.S. right now. I guess it's partnered with Walmart. You basically get to enter a Dragon's Cave. Well, I guess that they are VR chairs that are powered by a, a VR backpack, but you get this mm-hmm. five-minute-long journey through the hidden world with Astrid Hiccup, Toothless, and Hookfang. But that right now, that started in Burbank just this past week, and it's making its way through California right now, Pico Rivera. This is in Anaheim right now, folks, so if the line's too long at Disneyland, go go to Walmart. You can go to How to Train Your Dragon. And then from there, heads out to Vegas in March. It's in Arizona, uh, latter part of that month, uh, heads to Texas and finishes up in Bentonville, Arkansas, the home of Walmart, April 7th through the 9th. If you're willing to travel that far. If you're willing to travel to Arkansas. Yeah, why not? Just just keep going and continue to Dubai, uh, especially to uh, Motion Gate Dubai. That's the Hollywood-inspired theme park that opened back in December of 2016 because... Six months after that park opened, they got a Dragon Gliders attraction. And this is actually in the DreamWorks section of that theme park. And I want to stress here that the licensing deal that allowed this to be built in Dubai, you know, happened long before Steve Burke made Comcast Pony up $3.8 billion 
for DreamWorks Animation. And so, and it's licensed strictly for this region. Again, it's a storytelling coaster that allows you to stop, start, turn, pay attention to media, animatronic figures, you know, that sort of thing. And in fact, it sounds an awful lot like Hagrid's Magical Creatures yeah. Motorcycle Adventure. And going back to this Universal Cinematic Celebration show, the whole conceit of that show is supposed to be you're basically getting kiss goodnight from all the characters you've met that day mm-hmm. by going to various attractions around the park. So you, you get Harry Potter, you get Fast and Furious, you get Transformers, you get the Minions. And then in the middle of that, you get How to Train Your Dragon. And there is no How to Train Your Dragon attraction in Florida. Yet. Yet. Just watch the space, folks, because it'll be kind of interesting on the other side of our Jurassic World coaster opening up. And again, Mm -hmm. with that whole supposedly mission from Steve Burke, you know, the notion of a brand new ride per year per park in Florida. Be interesting to see if we get a dragon popping up there or if we get dragons popping up over in Fantastic Worlds, which... Circling back to the story you, you talked about at the top of the show, what do you suppose Disney's going to have in the hopper to counter that announcement? I have absolutely no idea because it's as soon as you have an experience like Hagrid's um, you know, coaster announced and then you have Jurassic World announced and we all know right up the street there is shovels in the ground for a, an entire theme park. What's, what's left? And more importantly, you know, with DreamWorks, with the story that we had last uh, Universal Joint, where it was talking about keeping things in in the family, mm-hmm. keeping more Comcast style um, and owned properties. It's going to be an interesting 2019. I think this is just the beginning. Oh, no, 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 definitely. Lots of news yet to break, and we will talk about it on this podcast. But if people are in between episodes of Universal Joint and want to hear your dulcet tones, Dustin, where else can they find you? So I'm over at StepsToMagic.com. Trip planning, vacation ideas, ways you can spend your money more at the uh, the Disney and Universal theme parks. In fact, we just did a uh, an article about the dining experiences at uh, at Universal, the best quick service dining. And got to say, it was really fun to relive walking into Moe's Tavern and getting the Flaming Mo and seeing the look on the guy's face as I asked for the Flaming Homer. And he had no idea what I was talking about. So going going <laughs> okay. into in-depth about the, the dining is, is just a, a fun thing for me. So yeah, I'm at StepsToMagic.com, Twitter, Pinterest, wherever. Okay, and on my side of the fence, the podcast has started all Disney Dish with Lentesta. We have the fine-tuning podcast that I do with Drew Taylor. We have Marvel Us Disney. That's uh, the show I do with the amazing Aaron Adams. And didn't you add a new... Uh, there is a new one that came well, out. I listened to the um, the premiere of I Want That. It's yes. actually very entertaining. We're getting there. That's the one that's kind of interesting because it's... We were able to delve into both new stuff the Disney company is doing and old stuff. In fact, I owe a phone call to a friend to get some info about the early days of The Little Mermaid and the crazy way Disney merchandised that. Uh, But I also need to to mention, because 
you know, it's tiny little side of the Disney company, barely worth mentioning. Star Wars, uh, you know, that that's the, the show I do with the amazing Dan Z, and that is looking at Lucasfilm. And we're going to see some very interesting stories popping up very shortly online because this past week, Disney has done its first previewing of Galaxy's Edge. There were reporters on site this week. And all of those folks I know are under moratorium or deadline mm -hmm. or that sort of thing. But we'll start to see that stuff bubble up. But we're, again, I cannot wait to see what Universal, how Universal responds when the Star Wars stuff starts coming out. But we'll get to that in future episodes of the Universal Joint. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that Dustin and I will be talking about in the weeks ahead. So please circle back on the show. But if you get the chance head over to iTunes and please rate and recommend our show. It's always helps to expand the audience a little bit until that time on behalf of Mr. Fusemichael. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back. It's been groovy. Having you hang with us for the universal joint. Tune in again for this and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill media network. <laughs>